Well, I very much look forward to next Sunday talking about the resurrection, but first I want us to go to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2. We're going to begin in a moment in verse 21 as we consider the cross. 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. On August the 16th, 1987, Northwest Airlines uh, had a flight that crashed outside of Detroit, Michigan, and there were 156 passengers on board, but only one survivor. That survivor was a little girl named Cecilia, and even though she was young, later on she was able to testify as to something her mother did that probably helped save her life. It turns out as the plane was crashing, her mother took off her seatbelt and her little girl's seatbelt. She put her on the floor. She knelt down and she wrapped her arms and her legs around her daughter. She covered that little body with her own body. She took the blow herself, probably saving the life of that little girl. 2,000 years ago, Jesus did something even more impressive than that. He laid down his life on the cross to wrap himself around us, so to speak, shielding us from the judgment and wrath that we deserve. Now, this morning, we're going to read several verses about the cross from this book of 1 Peter. Peter, the apostle, was writing this letter to comfort Christians who were suffering. This was during a time in which persecution was especially severe. And so he writes these words and he is encouraging God's people everywhere to do one thing. He's encouraging them to consider the cross. Consider the cross. Consider what Jesus did at the cross. Consider what Jesus paid at the cross. And I'm going to do something a little different this morning. I believe we will better understand this passage if we start at the end and work our way back to the beginning. Now, we're going to read this whole passage. Look with me, starting in verse 21. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return, when he suffered he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I believe that in this passage we see two sides of the cross. We see two ways that what Jesus did on the cross applies to our lives. And first of all, I want you to notice the accomplishment of his death. When we think about the cross, we see here the accomplishment of his death. Look again at verse 24. 
who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. This is one of those verses that is just so powerful because it's like the heart of the gospel in just one single verse. Peter says, who himself bore our sins? Who means Jesus, himself means no one but Jesus could and would have done it. And notice it says, he bore our sins in his body. Now there's so much here that is not explained to us, but that word to bear means to carry a massive, heavy weight. Somehow, some way, God took that massive, heavy weight of sin and placed it upon Jesus as if he carried those sins upon his own body on that cross. And this clearly means substitution. It means substitution. We see this again and again in the New Testament. We remember what Jesus said at the Lord's Supper. This is my body which is given for you. For you, meaning instead of you, in your place. Romans 5, 8 says God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ, what? Died for us. He died for us in our place. He received the death that we deserve so that we could experience the life that he deserves. Now, Peter, having said this, he shows us several things that Jesus accomplished by this. What did Jesus accomplish? Well, for one, he received sin's curse. He received sin's curse. Notice that Peter says that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. Now, here's a question. Why does Peter say that Jesus bore our sins on the tree instead of saying on the cross? He does so because he's referring to a verse in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy in chapter 21 where it says, Cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. Cursed is the one. Well, they didn't know it at the time, but this pointed to the cross. Peter is referring to that verse because he's alluding to the fact that when Jesus died on the cross, he was taking the curse of sin upon himself. We see in the very first book of the Bible that when the very first sin entered this world, the curse of sin came with it, and the curse of sin fell on all of creation. Which is why, by the way, we're living in the kind of world that we are living in today. Because of the curse of sin, we work and we sweat. Because of the curse of sin, our bodies experience pain. Because of the curse of sin, animals bite. Because of the curse of sin, we live in a world with fear and suffering and terror and hostility and most of all, death. And as part of sin's curse, God told Adam, now the ground is going to produce thorns because of you. The thorn became the symbol 
of the curse of sin upon this world. And that is why it was not an accident when Jesus was crucified that they put on his head a crown of thorns. Those soldiers did not understand what they were doing, but a crown of thorns on the head of Jesus was very symbolic and pictured the placing of the curse of sin upon Jesus when he died on the cross. Now, only Jesus could do this. And he tells us why in verse 22. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit, Found in his mouth. You're going to notice three times in this passage, three times, Peter quotes the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 53. Probably the most important passage, the most important prophecy in the Old Testament about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And so he quotes uh, this verse. And he says that Jesus committed no sin. There was no deceit found in his mouth. Remember, Jesus said that what comes out of the mouth is a reflection of what is in the heart. So no deceit in his mouth simply means Jesus had a clean heart. He not only obeyed the law outwardly, that means he obeyed the law inwardly. That means he never had an evil thought. That means he never had an evil motive. That means he never had an evil intention. And it was because he was clean both outwardly and inwardly that he was qualified to perform this task of taking the curse of sin upon himself. Now, why is that? It's because God is not only holy, he is perfectly holy. And he requires perfect obedience. But I have bad news for you today. We don't have perfect obedience to offer God, do we? What we have is sin. And what we have is guilt. We have shame to offer God. And therefore, what we all need is for someone to offer that perfect obedience in our place. Jesus came and he did exactly that. He lived a perfect sinless life and then he offers up for us on our behalf that perfect obedience that God requires. We remember that the father said when Jesus was baptized, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Everything Jesus did at every moment was pleasing to the father. But then when we come to the cross, something happened. There on that cross, the same man in whom the father was pleased at every single moment, he cried out and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What happened all of a sudden, the curse of sin was placed upon Jesus. He exchanged his life of perfect obedience for our curse. He suffered as a criminal even though he, had no, he committed no crime. And at that moment that Jesus was crucified, God the Father took the curse of our sin and placed it upon his son so that we could be free from it. He not only received sin's curse, but by his death on the cross, he reverses sin's effect. He reverses sin's effect. Notice what Peter said in the second part of verse 24. 
Jesus died, it says, having died to sins, that we might live for righteousness. Now, understand, Peter is saying that Jesus died so that we might experience a type of death. He died so that we might experience a type of death. That word for die, it's interesting, it's not the normal word that is normally used in the original language. This word means to be away from, to be missing, to cease to exist. Likewise, when we die to sin, the penalty of our sin is taken away. The guilt that once characterized our lives is missing. The very record of our sin ceases to exist. And when you die to sin, all of a sudden that means sin has no more claim over you, no more bondage over you, no more rights over you. We remember that when Jesus died, there were three crosses on Golgotha's hill with Jesus in the center and one on each side. One of those men crucified with Jesus reviled him and insulted him and rejected him. The other admitted his sin. He declared Jesus innocent. He confessed Jesus as Lord. And he said, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Three crosses, three men who died on those three crosses. Now listen, one died for sin. That's Jesus. Another died in sin. That's the man who rejected him. But the other man died to sin. And likewise, Jesus died for your sin and for my sin. And you will either die in sin or to sin, but it will be one or the other. Peter said, you died to sins, but he didn't stop there. He said, so we might live for righteousness. As a result of what Jesus did on the cross, the man or woman of God is not only forgiven of sin, but they are able to overcome sin. Sin loses its grip on us. We're able to live for righteousness. We're able suddenly to resist temptation. We're able to desire what is good. We can enjoy and experience a kind of life that we never dreamt possible before. He said, we die to sin, we live to righteousness, we're forgiven, we're cleansed, but then notice what he says next, by whose stripes you were healed. And again, that is a reference to Isaiah chapter 53. By his stripes you were healed. That word stripes refers to all of the suffering that Jesus endured at the cross by his stripes, by his wounds, some translations say, we are healed. What kind of healing is he talking about? Well, he just told us, we die to sin. We live for righteousness. He's talking about that kind of, of healing. And yes, sometimes we're sick and God in his grace will, will heal us of that physical sickness. But that's not the kind of sickness and that's not the kind of healing that Peter is talking about here. This is a spiritual healing. He heals our hearts, he heals our souls, he heals our lives. So we see Jesus, he received sin's curse. 
He reverses sin's effect, but then there's one other thing that he accomplished by his death that we see here. He rescues sin's captives. He rescues sin's captives. Look at verse 25. For you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I know I'm sounding like a broken record here, but once again, Peter quotes Isaiah chapter 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. That means we've all chosen our way over God's way. And you know what we were like? We were like the sheep in this article I read about. It was in USA Today a few years ago. And this is what the headline said. The headline said, 450 sheep jump to their deaths in Turkey. It turns out in the nation of Turkey, there were some shepherds who were watching their flocks and they decided it would be okay to leave them alone long enough to go eat breakfast. And so while the shepherds were eating breakfast and while no one was watching the sheep, one of the sheep walked over a cliff. Why? Because that's what sheep do. They're not that smart. Another sheep decided to follow him. And then he walked off the cliff. And then before you knew it, about 1,500 sheep all walked off this cliff. Now, you remember from the headline, only 450 of them actually died. It turns out after the first several hundred walked off the cliff, it's like it formed a giant cushion for all of the other sheep when they landed after they fell off the cliff. I tell you this because, listen, in Genesis chapter 3, Adam was that first sheep who walked off the cliff of sin. Since then, every man, woman, boy, and girl has done the same. We were like those wandering sheep. That's who we were. That's how we did life. But Peter says, you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You have returned. We get the word repent from that word. There was a turning point in your life in which you turned away from sin and you turned to Christ and he became, Peter says, your shepherd. He's the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And as our shepherd, he guides us. He protects us. Peter says he's the overseer or some translations say the guardian of your souls. He's our guardian. And listen, Jesus never loses that which he has already won. He received sin's curse. He reverses sin's effect. He rescues sin's captives. All of this is some of what Jesus accomplished at the cross, but all of this is also leading us to something else that Peter wants us to see in this passage. We not only see the accomplishment of his death, but we also see the example of his suffering. We see the example of his suffering. For the child of God, the cross is not only the means of our forgiveness and our salvation, it is also the model for how we are to live the Christian life. The cross becomes our way of life. 
And this is really where Peter is taking us in all of this. This is the reason why Peter mentions the cross in this context. He's saying, when we consider the cross, there are some things which we see Jesus doing, which we, by God's grace, can do as well. So then the question is, what is it that Jesus is doing at the cross that we're supposed to do? In what way are we supposed to follow that example? Well, he tells us, first of all, Jesus endured patiently. He endured patiently. Look at verse 21. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Peter says, to this you were called. What is it we've been called to do? He's referring to what he said. In verse before, he's talking about suffering. Listen to me very carefully. We've been called, the Bible says, to suffer. I realize this goes against our normal American way of thinking. And what I'm saying here is not going to be very popular. But he said, we are called to suffer because Christ suffered, leaving an example for us to follow. And just in case you want to know what kind of suffering he was referring to, let me remind you that Peter wrote these words during the reign of a Roman emperor named Nero. And there were a lot of bad emperors of Rome. There were some evil guys, but he may have topped the list. Nero was the one who had that very bad habit of taking Christians, dipping them and wax and turning them into human candles. This was a time of great persecution. This was a time of great suffering. Many Christians were dying for the faith, and they had one question. Their question was, how can a believer endure this kind of suffering? How can we endure this suffering and be faithful? How can we experience this type of suffering and continue to cling to hope? And Peter says the answer is found in the cross. You remember that Jesus suffered and you are merely following his example. You remember, you remind yourself that no matter how hard it gets, you will never have to suffer anything that compares to what Jesus already suffered for you. You remember, you remind yourself that no one will ever do anything to you that is worse than what Jesus already suffered for you. You remember, you remind yourself that his suffering resulted in exaltation and yours will as well one day. And it's because of this, when he suffered, he endured patiently. And so can you by God's grace. So stop complaining. Stop questioning why God would allow suffering in our lives. 
Stop questioning why God would allow you to go through whatever it is you are going through because the Bible says we are called to follow the example of Jesus. And yes, part of that includes suffering. Peter says, consider the cross. He endured patiently, but something else he did, he replied graciously. He replied graciously. Look at the first part of verse 23. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. He was reviled. He was insulted. He was attacked over and over. He suffered harsh verbal abuse. Anyone ever call you names? Think about all the different names that Jesus was called. They called him a glutton. They called Jesus a drunkard. They called Jesus a sinner and the prince of demons and Beelzebub. They said that he was a Sabbath breaker and a deceiver. They called him a false prophet and so much more. When he was arrested, they wrapped him in a purple robe, blindfolded him, took turns beating him, and said, why don't you prophesy to us and tell us who it is that's hitting you this time? They put a scepter in his hand and facetiously worshipped him. They jokingly put a crown of thorns on his head. They crucified him under a sign that said, King of the Jews. I don't imagine there's ever been a man or woman who walked the face of this earth who was viciously attacked or who was called more names or who was verbally assaulted more than Jesus was during his earthly life and ministry. So let me just give you a little bit of advice here. Don't overreact when someone insults you. Don't overreact if someone insults Jesus or if someone insults his followers because they did it then, and according to God's word, they're going to do it now as well. Peter says Jesus was reviled, but he did not revile in return. Now, notice that next statement. When he suffered, he did not threaten. That's a pretty amazing statement when you think about what Jesus could have done. You remember what Jesus said to Peter, do you not know that I could call for 12 legions of angels to come and rescue me? And I tell you, it would have only taken one of them. He could have cried out for help, but he didn't. He was hanging upon the cross and the people said, why don't you save yourself and come down from the cross so that we might see and believe? And how did he reply to all that? Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Again, Peter is telling us this in verse 21 because we're to follow his footsteps. So I ask you, how are you going to respond when you are treated unfairly? When people gossip about you? When people tell lies about you? Or God forbid if someone says something mean to you on social media. What are you going to say? What are you going to do 
When you are reviled, are you going to revile back? When you are insulted, are you going to insult them back? When you are threatened, are you going to threaten them back? Because that's not what Jesus did. And the one who replied graciously to all of the above did so, Peter says, setting the example for us to follow. And I tell you, he will help you to reply graciously as well. If you'll let him. By God's grace, through the power of the cross, yes, you can love your enemies. You can Bless those who curse you and do good to those who hate you and pray for those who use you. Yes, you can. He endured patiently. He replied graciously. And one more thing. Notice, he yielded himself confidently. Jesus yielded himself confidently to the Father. Look at the end of verse 23. But committed himself to him who judges righteously. The original language means that he continually committed himself to the Father again and again. He just kept on committing himself to the Father. He knew he was innocent. He knew he was being falsely accused. He knew it was fair, unfair, but he kept saying to the Father again and again, I'm in your hands. You are just you will vindicate me. Jesus remembered that his suffering was redemptive, that it was the means by which we would be saved. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, he said it this way, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Notice that statement, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. I don't know if I will ever come to a point in my life where I can fully comprehend that statement. How Jesus could suffer the way he suffered and have any thought of joy whatsoever beyond the cross. But he reminded himself of the joy that our salvation would bring. He kept reminding himself that his father would take what is evil and turn it into good. That's what God did. And listen, that's what God will do in your life and in mine. Don't know what you're going through this morning, but I can tell you this. Your suffering is redemptive. In other words, God will redeem your situation. He will turn something bad into something good. He will turn your trial into a testimony. Now, how do I know that? I know that and we know that because that's exactly what God did at the cross. At the cross, when Jesus died, God took the greatest evil to take place, the crucifixion of the innocent, perfect Lamb of God, and he turned the greatest evil into the greatest good, victory over sin and death for all who believe. And if God could take the greatest evil and turn it into the greatest good, that means he can take some lesser evil in your life. And turn it into 
a lesser good as well. So what do you do when you're suffering? And what do you do when that suffering is the result of unfair treatment? You do what Jesus did. You entrust yourself to God. You remember that He judges justly and that He will make all things right. I love the way a man named David Watson said this in a writing of his many years ago. And I want to leave you with this. He said, the cross is a picture of violence, yet the key to peace. It is a picture of suffering, yet the key to healing. It is a picture of death, yet the key to life. It is a picture of utter weakness, yet the key to power. It is a picture of capital punishment, yet the key to mercy and forgiveness. It is a picture of vicious hatred, yet the key to love. And it is a picture of supreme shame, yet the Christian's supreme boast. Oh, how I pray we will do as Peter instructed us. And no matter what we're going through, Truly consider the cross this morning. Would you join me as we pray? Our Lord and our God, we thank you for these handful of verses that Peter has given to us, written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we today might consider the cross, that we might consider what Jesus did there and what exactly he accomplished by his death. We thank you that Jesus, who was perfectly obedient, was willing to take our place, that the curse of our sin would be placed upon him. And we thank you, oh God, that he did that not only to save us, but at the same time, he also set an example for us that the principle of the cross would be applied to our lives that we would follow his example and that the cross would characterize the way we relate to one another, particularly those in this world around us, those who oppose us, those who hate us, anyone who would attack us or criticize us. Father, help us to follow this example of Jesus who was reviled, but he didn't revile back. And he was threatened, but he didn't threaten back. But he just kept committing himself to you. So, Father, would you help us to do that as well? Would you help us to take that principle and apply it to every area of our lives? Help us to apply that to our marriages. The, the way, those of us that are married, the way that we treat our husband, our wife. Father, help us to apply that at work, the way we treat our coworkers, the way we treat those employees or the boss. Father, would you help us to apply this to the way we, we treat our neighbors and everyone around us, oh God, that they would see us following this example of Jesus 
so that by doing so, as we live out the principle of the cross, they might see Jesus in us, and they might come to him believing in him, believing that he died for them, that they might put their faith in Jesus and be saved through the cross. Father, would you show all of us exactly how you want us to apply this to our lives this morning? And we'll give you the thanksgiving and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name.